way a story ends is important. Changing the ending could completely ruin a book or a movie, and it would also change the way we feel about it. For example, imagine that you're watching a romantic comedy, and finally, the two main characters fall in love and get married. But then the movie continues on for another 30 minutes, where you just get to watch as the couple bickers as they put together their IKEA furniture. Or if you're a fan of action-adventure movies, let's say the good guy finally beats the bad guy. And then the movie drags on for another hour where we watch the hero struggle to figure out how to fill out his taxes. It doesn't work and we don't like it. Why? There is something in us that wants an ending to feel like an ending. And since you've been reading Jonah chapter four this past week, you likely know where I'm headed with this. The first three chapters of Jonah tell a great story. We have a main character who after mistakes and struggle, finally does what is right. And there seems to be this ideal outcome. Boom, story wrapped up beautifully, tension resolved. Except just like the movie ideas I just described to you, the book of Jonah is not done at the end of chapter three. And in fact, the tension is just beginning. To review, last week we saw how Jonah delivered the message that God had given him to the Ninevites. Then everyone in the city, from the king to the animals, fasted, put on sackcloth, and called out to God. A literal revival swept through the huge city, and God showed mercy to the Ninevites. And its people and its cows were saved from destruction. So doesn't it seem like chapter four should have opened with a big party and that Jonah's reaction should have been excitement and and like fist bumps? We know he went to Nineveh reluctantly, but wouldn't anyone be pleased with these results? Apparently not. In chapter four, verse one, it says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. Jonah was angry and not just a little bit. The word for Jonah's great anger here is ra'ah, which is a really strong word and can be translated evil. This isn't the first time the word for evil showed up in the book of Jonah, but before it was only used to describe the evil ways of the Ninevites. Here, Jonah is applying it to the actions of God. Literally, it's like he's saying, God, your actions seem evil to me. Now, why does Jonah feel this way? Verse two says, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. As we study chapter four, we're gonna spend a fair amount of time on what Jonah did wrong. But let's take a minute to mention something that he gets really, really right. As the chapter opens, we learn that Jonah is very angry with God, but he still chooses to pray. I heard a quote from Kyle Strobel, a pastor, professor, and author that fits so beautifully here. He said, prayer is not a place to be good. It's a place to be honest. I'm going to repeat that. Prayer is not a place to be good. It's a place to be honest. I think for many of us, We fall into the trap of thinking that we need to impress God when we pray. But God desires our real selves and isn't afraid of our real feelings. Jonah certainly wasn't afraid to be honest before him, and we can feel the anger and the sass coming off the page. Is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? It feels like Jonah has a finger pointed at God yelling, didn't I tell you this would happen? 
Now, in a lot of homes, this kind of attitude would not be okay. And growing up, we had our mouths washed out with soap for the kind of tone that Jonah is taking here. But he's on a roll and he takes it a step further to blame God for his earlier disobedience when he said, this is why I made haste to flee. This is why I ran away from you as fast as I could, God, because I knew this would happen. So what did Jonah know would happen? Continuing with verse two, he said, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah is angry that God has relented and been gracious and merciful to Nineveh. But there's a little more to it than that. Jonah is quoting parts of a passage from Exodus where God clearly explained who he is. In chapter 35, verses six through seven, God says that he is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to the thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. By referencing this passage in Exodus, we learn that one, Jonah knows the scriptures, which makes sense given his job as a prophet. Two, Jonah knows God and really understands who he is. And then three, Jonah isn't just mad that Nineveh is still standing. He's mad at God for being God. This feels wrong in just a thousand different ways. We're left even more confused by this because we know that Jonah literally just received God's compassion, forgiveness, and faithfulness. Jonah seemed grateful for God's character back in chapter two. Why the change of heart now? I have two kids and my daughter is about three years older than my son, Drew. When Drew was a toddler, if he saw me hugging or snuggling his sister, he got really mad and he would often charge over and try to separate us. Even though he received plenty of my attention, hugs, and love, he didn't want to see his sister also receiving that. Similarly, we have Jonah, who is angry because he has watched God be good and merciful to the Ninevites, and Jonah can't stand it. God's goodness feels like evil to him, even though Jonah himself just received heaping amounts of God's mercy. For my son Drew, I was showing affection to the wrong child. And in Jonah's mind, God was being good to the wrong people. While we can excuse this behavior from a toddler, it is harder to understand from Jonah. How could a man of God, a prophet, rather see Nineveh destroyed than offered mercy? This feels offensive and so hard to understand. In verse 3, Jonah finishes his prayer with even more drama. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. I can picture the scene with Jonah laid out, hand to his forehead, while speaking these words. Jonah would rather die than continue to witness God's mercy for Nineveh. And that's the end of what feels like an angry, hateful tantrum from Jonah. And now it's God's turn to respond. How would you have responded to Jonah? I know how I would have, and it wouldn't have been pretty. But God, in verse 4, responds with such a simple but profound question. Do you do well to be angry? For me, this response from God is shocking because Jonah is being terrible, but God is patient and slow to anger. God could have responded by throwing Jonah's recent disobedience back at him with wrath or even a lecture. Instead, God simply asked this question, do you do well to be angry? In this question, God implies that Jonah's anger is not good. It seems obvious to us here that Jonah's heart is a mess 
but apparently it's not obvious to Jonah. God's question is designed to help Jonah look at his heart and attitude and see how far away he is from the heart of God. We don't hear Jonah's response to God's question, but we see it in verse 5, which says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. Well, now we have our answer about Jonah's response to God as we read that he left the city and found a spot, hoping to watch the destruction of Nineveh and everyone and everything that lived there. This is not the compassionate response that we as the readers or that God was hoping for. But God continues to try to get through to Jonah. Picking up in verse 6, it says, Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. The word appointed is repeated three times throughout this passage. God appointed the plant, which brought Jonah comfort, and then appointed the worm and the wind, which took away that comfort. At first glance, it may feel as though God is toying with Jonah or maybe even punishing him, but I don't think that's what's going on here. In Hebrew, this word appoint means to assign, to count, or prepare. We can even think about how we use that word when we appoint officials or people to be part of a committee. You don't appoint something or someone by accident. It's something you do on purpose for a purpose. This object lesson was prepared carefully by God to turn up the tension for Jonah so that his heart would hopefully be moved toward God and toward change. Sometimes God's lessons don't feel very good and they're not very comfortable and Jonah is just miserable. He feels like he is burning up from the wind and the sun. Now, I want us to think back for a second to verse one where it said that Jonah was angry. A figurative meaning for angry is that Jonah felt like he was blazing or burning in his anger. I think we can all probably relate to that experience of feeling anger just burn inside us. But isn't it interesting that now Jonah's body also feels like it's burning? His physical reality matches what was going on in his heart. It wasn't that long ago that God appointed a storm to stop Jonah in his disobedience. And he appointed a great fish to give Jonah a second chance. You would think that this man would see the hand of God once again at work on his behalf. But verse 9 dashes our hopes and dreams for that. It says, and he meaning Jonah here, asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Again, God asks a simple question. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And again, Jonah says, yes. And death is better than this life that you've given me, God. It is abundantly clear that Jonah refuses to be moved by God's questions or by his discipline. He refuses to surrender to God and remains stuck, still angry, still burning, still lacking in compassion and love. In verse 10, the final verse of this chapter and the final verse of this whole book, God speaks to Jonah. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make grow, 
which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? God now directly addresses the wrong attitudes in Jonah's heart. And God starts with the plant, the only living thing in the whole story that Jonah has had any affection for. Jonah didn't put any work into this plant and only cared about it because of the comfort it provided him. In contrast, God speaks of his love for the people of Nineveh, who we know God labored for behind the scenes, bringing them to a place of repentance and belief. God pities or has compassion on them and says that they don't know their right hand from their left. A few of the commentaries indicate that God could be referring to the children of Nineveh, but most seem to think that God likely means that the Ninevites were spiritually and morally immature. The reality is that the people of Nineveh didn't have the same spiritual advantages that the Israelites did. They had no teaching, no scriptures, and no prophets. God clearly believed that the Ninevites mattered and was still trying to impact Jonah's heart toward them. Though they were different than Jonah, they were image bearers too. They too were God's children. And I like how at the end, God just threw in the part about the cows. The commentaries aren't super clear why the cows were mentioned, but my favorite idea is that God thought that since Jonah cared so much about the plant, maybe these cows would actually move his heart toward compassion. This chapter reminds me of Luke 15, where Jesus tells the parable of the lost or the prodigal son. Picking up close to the end of the story, the father is overjoyed that his younger, rebellious son has returned and throws a party to celebrate. The father's other son, the older brother, was angry and refused to join in the celebration. He didn't believe the younger son deserved the favor or the love of the father. In Luke 15, 31, it says, So the father went to him and said, My son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I think this parable gives us a glimpse into the heart of God when Nineveh, who was lost, was now found. God was filled with joy and he desperately wanted the older son, Jonah, who already had all the father's riches, to join him in this celebration. But Jonah, like the older son, refused. Well, I warned you about the tension in this chapter. It is unrelenting. We feel it and we don't like it. And we so badly want Jonah to just respond to God and choose compassion. But we're left in the tension. We don't know what Jonah did from here. We love to have a story wrapped up with a bow, a happily ever after. But the way a story ends is important. What if this story of Jonah ends like this on purpose for a purpose? And what if you and I are being invited to step into some of the tension? For me, the biggest takeaway is that I don't want to be like Jonah, angry, selfish, resisting God and full of hate. My first reaction is that I would never be that way. But that same human nature that showed up in my two-year-old son and had completely taken over for Jonah is certainly real and present among both Christians and non-Christians. We don't have to look far to see evidence of it. How much anger, self-centeredness, and hatred do we witness just in the news or on social media? I don't think for a second that Jonah just woke up one morning so hard-hearted. These attitudes and behaviors were grown over time because 
of her issues that were left unchecked. We have the same human nature that Jonah did. And we all have attitudes and behaviors that reflect this nature instead of the God that we serve. If you and I leave those things unchecked or hidden, we will end up like Jonah. So what can I do? What can we do to avoid that? Surprisingly, we get our answer from Jonah himself. We start by being honest with ourselves and with God. Like Jonah, we speak the difficult and the ugly of what is really in our hearts before God. And we don't need to be afraid. Remember, our God is so faithful, so gracious, slow to anger, forgiving, and abounding in love. And then, unlike Jonah, when God gently or not so gently asks us to respond, we do. Because God is asking of us the same thing he asked of Jonah, to be like him. To be image bearers who love God and love people. And speaking of those people in our lives, we can ask God to reveal where we have an unloving attitude or heart toward them. In our reactions to people, we can pay attention to our anger and when we feel a rebellious spirit resisting what God might be calling us to. This isn't easy and maybe uncomfortable, but the alternative is to live as Jonah did. He was miserable, alone, and completely stuck. Instead, we can pay attention to the tension and allow God to do his work in the dark places of our lives. And as a result of living so connected to God, we will experience more joy, more fulfillment, and more peace than we could ever imagine.